another song from the League of Legends soundtrack. This one's called Home is Where My Heart Is, featuring Kupla. Kind of cool. I think that's a uke. Sounds kind of raw, like maybe that's not his first instrument. <laughs> I like it, though. Anyway, this is a recording my friend and I, Brandon Hansen, made regarding the book I just read and which he has also read called The Speaker for the Dead by Orson Scott Card. Enjoy. You ever done a podcast before? I have never done a podcast. I feel like a celebrity right now. (laughs) Well, it's pretty much no different than a regular conversation. At least mine are. (laughs) But uh, we record it. Yeah. So there's that. The pressure's on. Yeah, I've listened to a number of podcasts in my time. So You've listened to one or two podcasts in your time? Yeah, one or two. (laughs) Well, you know, that's one of the joys of living where we do now is I don't have any type of commute or drive to work. So I used to listen to podcasts all the time in California on my drive. Um, But now I I have no drive. Brandon lives in uh, Oregon. He lives in, I'm blanking on the name of the city right now. Eugene. Eugene. There you go. Um. Brandon. Yeah. We're going to talk about a book today. Do you know what book we're going to talk about today? Um, Well, I hope it's Speaker (laughs) for the Dead, because that's the one I prepared for. (laughs) That is correct. Uh, I'm holding my book up right now. Is this what your book looked like when you read it? Actually, it is. And actually, I have one. The one I have is not the one I read, because I realized that I didn't have a copy anymore. Um, so Tony, the actually one you read, you got me. rid of somehow. Well, yeah, my brother stole it. Um, <laughs> okay, right. I was, li- when I read it, I was living at home, you know, with, I had two brothers and yeah. so, uh, I lost all the books in the divorce, but <laughs> my, um, my wife picked up this copy for me at the used bookstore the other day. So it is a oh, 19- nice. So it, it does like at the beginning of the book where it has like other tour books by Orson Scott card. The only other books listed are Ender's Game and Seventh Son. Are you kidding me? No. So you're saying that this was his third book or something? Um, at least published by Tor Publishing. Um, but yeah, if you look, I mean, this came out wow. in 80, 80, I want to say 88, but somewhere right around there. Okay, this um, says copyright 86, but then I also have the year 91 in this, which means it, you know, this is obviously a version that came out a few years yeah. later. Oh, yeah, this one says it's. Um, from the first mass market printing of 1987. Look at that. Okay, so, but you know what yours doesn't say? What does mine not say? Yours doesn't say Hugo winner, Nebula winner, or it doesn't say, check this out. See what it says right there? Can you read that? Oh, author's definitive edition. Definitive. My, my copy of Ender's Game does have those <laughs> oh, on yeah. it. Oh, <laughs> See, it's got the same little stars at the top. There uh, you go. Yeah. But uh, no, the top of my speaker for the dead, it says the sequel to the Hugo and Nebula award-winning Ender's Game. You see, that would have been nice to know when I got this at the used bookstore. I literally, uh, I left the bookstore with a stack of like five books that day. And I, I didn't plan on leaving with a Orson Scott card book, but I just kind of happened to walk by and I was like, you know what? I've only ever read one book by him. 
uh, Ender's Game. Maybe it's time to see what else he's all about. And I just happened to pick the sequel. <laughs> well, um, you know, I, I actually I wrote down in my notes questions for Josh. And uh, yes, I I was curious. So now how you having you said that? Um, did you reread Ender's Game before reading Speaker for the Dead? Uh, so I just started reading Speaker for the Dead, and some topics came up. And I was like, okay, it, okay. So he starts this the prologue out. He says like, this is you know a sequel, but you shouldn't have to read the first book at all. Like this is totally standalone. And and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But but the point is is no, I didn't reread Ender's Game. But after about a chapter or two, I actually did reread the last chapter of Ender's Game, <laughs> uh, which I and think is called Speaker for the Dead. Exactly. I think is the name of that chapter. That's where I learned. Oh, so this is not a new phrase. Um, right. Speaker for the Dead basically is established in the last chapter of Ender's Game. And yeah, like I would not have remembered at all if I didn't reread it that like this whole Speaker for the Dead thing was established where someone speaks for a dead person okay i just said speaker for the dead like three times in the same (laughs) sentence okay but um yeah and and also um it talks about uh i i forgot so much about ender's game but i I forgot the whole thing where the hive queen kind of like builds this world this this area on the planet that only he would know about so it attracted him there right and that's where he finds the hive queen egg and yeah um yeah, so I forgot all about that stuff, all about it. And I also forgot about, like, the whole, the the book that, like, um, that he writes, The Hive Queen and the Hegemon, and uh, the whole Demosthenes aspect. Oh, Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, with yeah. his sister. Forgot about all that stuff. So all, yeah. so all the stuff I just said, you do get a pretty good recap if you just read the last chapter of Ender's Game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. My my question, kind of for you, just kind of on the broader subject that I wrote down was, um, like, what are your thoughts on indirect sequels like this? I kind of like it. You know, sequel fatigue is like a real thing. Um, I've definitely f- felt it reading. You know, three, two or three novels into a sequel and um i like the idea that this is just totally like yes same universe but <laughs> i mean we're gonna get into it three thousand years removed right you know um yeah i like it i i mean i don't even really think of speaker for the dead as a sequel to ender's game um i i think of because there's speaker for the dead and then there's two more books that follow um and I think of it more as like, an en- there's Ender's Game, and then there's the Speaker for the Dead trilogy. You know, that's yeah, in I, my mind. That's how I think of I it. I mean, I can totally understand that because because uh, Ender's Game is, I think, more. Tell me what you think. Written for like a kid. Is it more yeah. like a, 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 a what do you call those? The uh, young adult. Novel. It's like a young, young adult, adult novel, right? Yeah, you know. Um, See, when we were kids, YA didn't really exist as a genre. Um, <laughs> I think if Ender's Game were written today, it would be written more directly targeted towards young adults. Okay, okay. So yeah. what you're saying? We grew up on Goosebumps books. Uh- <laughs> well, I think I think we yeah we grew up on Goosebumps books and like early chapter books to middle grade books, but then it like jumped to 
you know, when I read Ender's Game as a teenager in mm. more or less the year 2000, um, I felt like I was reading an adult book. I was reading a grown-ups book. Okay. Yeah. Um, and but, so, and I, but I think that's just marketing, and that's how it's positioned in bookstores. It could you know, be. It could then be. versus now. It could be. But yeah. do you agree that there is, like, an age difference between Ender's Game and Speaker for the Dead? Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? Ender's I mean, Game, I, mean, I, yeah. Yeah, Speaker for the Dead has, like, um, I mean, there's, like, adultery in it. You know what I mean? There's, like, well, you know, more, like, heavy yeah. topics. Um, all that being said, there is a genocide in <laughs> in Ender's Game. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think you're right, though. I think the interpersonal relationships of people are a little more complicated. Um, oh, it is a well, yeah. bit more grown-up in theme. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay, so... I usually start these podcasts off, um, well, yeah, usually I start them off by rating them. Uh, so I want to know, I mean, okay, first of all, listeners should know you read this book, I mean, how many years ago? <laughs> I mean, I originally read this book as a teenager, um, like 20 years 20 ago. 20 years, yeah. <laughs> um, I reread it a couple times since then. Oh, I would wow. probably say... Um, the most recent I read it, I think I read it when I was about 21. Okay. Um, so that was still like 13 years yeah. ago. How old am I? Um, the 13 <laughs> years ago. So it's been a while. I kind of skimmed it. Um, I reread a couple of passages from it and read some plot synopsis preparing for this. You're but I'm telling still... me, you're telling me you read this three times at least. Oh yeah. Um, wow. Or- Brandon, Orson I can't Scott believe Card that. was my favorite author. Um, as okay. a teenager, I would have told you Orson Scott Card is my favorite author. Yeah. Um, and Ender's Game was in my top like two or three books for sure. Huh. Wow. Um, I, I mean, I I feel like I have favorite authors, but I just never reread books. I don't anymore. <laughs> as as an adult, I find it very hard to reread yeah. books. But as a as a kid, I re- reread books all. Well, the time. and see, that's the difference. When I was a kid, I didn't read books. So <laughs> this is a newfound love of mine. Um, okay, so so I, how did you rate it? Okay, okay, let me ask you this: What do you give it out of five stars? And the the the, the Goodreads levels are one star is I didn't like it, two is I like it. No, no, no. Two is it was okay. Three is I like it. Four is I love it. Five is it was amazing. Um, I think I'd give it like a four and a half. There are no halves, Brandon. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, definitely. I would say channeling my teenage self, I would have for sure given it five stars at the okay. time. Um, I would be interested to know what I'd rate it if I reread it fully now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say definitely, you know, 20-year-old me would have said five stars. I love it. I love it because I give it five stars as well. And um, I'm pretty uh, ruthless when it comes to books, to be honest. <laughs> uh yeah, I, I, this book, this book, Brandon, it moved me. It like, it really? seriously moved me. And we'll talk about how it, it touched my soul. But, um, man, yeah, it, it, you know, when, okay, so you didn't, you didn't like, I had this book, so I can't like give all the credit to you for recommending it. Like I bought the book, but then I mentioned it and then you told me that you had read it and, um. And I mean, I think, I think you recommended it, obviously, if, if you gave yeah. it five stars. But uh, you also kind of added the caveat, you know, don't expect like an action packed kind of 
Ender's Game, right? Didn't you kind of say that? Yeah, it's it's interesting. And actually poking around the internet a little bit the last couple days on what other people have have said about Ender's Game and Speaker for the Dead is um, a lot of people will recommend Ender's Game to people who don't typically like sci-fi. There you go. Um, yep. And this is partly why I was really curious on your take on it, um, having kind of been reading so much science fiction. Um, and then Speaker for the Dead, I have a when I recommend it to people, I always caution them because typically people have read Ender's Game. Okay. And yeah. so I do caution them, and I say it's not, it's not Ender's Game. It's not a direct not. sequel. It doesn't feel like Ender's Game. And but I, but know, it's good. I like it. Yeah. No. You 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 described these books correctly. It's like. This book right here, Speaker of the Dead, it's meat and potatoes. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, you shouldn't you shouldn't start off with this book if if you're not like if you're not like big into sci-fi or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can totally see people thinking it's boring. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, actually, but, you know, and today I even found a quote where Orson Scott Card, when asked about making Speaker for the Dead into a movie. He has said that he doesn't want Speaker for the Dead made into a movie because he feels it would make a very boring movie <laughs> because the book is made up of yeah. people of talking heads talking to each other cut with extreme violence and then back to talking <laughs> heads talking to each other. <laughs> yeah, no, there there is a lot of dialogue and um and I love dialogue, but uh but yeah yeah I probably wouldn't make a good movie. Hey, uh yeah okay we need to actually get into the story, but one thing okay. I want to say is um. What's with the cover? The cover, it has nothing to do with the story that I can tell. Like, what um, world is that? I mean, to me, it looks like very generic <laughs> it is super science generic. fiction <laughs> spaceport. So, presumably, that could be... Well, see, the thing is, every planet that's described in this book doesn't look like that. No. Even the planet Tron, he starts Tron out team off. is the ice world with, like, a bunch of water. Oh right, right, yeah. and uh, and Lusitania is there's one tiny little human settlement on it. There's no way there's a right. little spaceport like this. Anyway, as I understand it, actually the last episode I recorded of this podcast, um, my guest mentioned that like a lot of times they just commission, uh, yeah. you know, art artwork. But this one's weird because like the the the, the book that was brought up where they commission artwork is. Have you heard of the Expanse? Yeah. Yeah, so if you've seen those books, I don't have you have have you read them or I have not read them. I think okay. I have the first one sitting on my bookshelf, but I haven't. Okay, read well, it. so that book, the, you know, the books are very colorful. They're actually I'm, I'm pointing behind me. They're behind me. They're very colorful and it's more like artwork. It's like abstract space artwork. But this is not abstract at all. This is showing like a a central port on a big city planet. You know what I mean? It's just very weird that they chose this this well, uh cover yeah it's very <laughs> similar i would guess doing no research here i would guess that it's the same artist as the ender's game cover um i don't even know what the similar. ender's game cover um, looks like but okay see, so this they... is ender this one's ender's game oh yeah there you go okay um, so okay. it's very similar kind of just generic space yeah. station with a planet that's ridiculous i would want the cover of, of a book if i wrote one would be very important to me and i'd want it to actually mean something and not just be commissioned you know just to slap a cover that sells well i guess and i mean i don't know i haven't read enough science fiction from this time period to know if like this was just the way books looked in the late 80s yeah um you know it could have just purely been a marketing thing (laughs) i don't know all right should we should we give a synopsis of the story um sure that would be great and I think um, I don't think we should worry about spoilers. Uh, I've tried doing that before, but 
the way I see it, let's just kind of like to the best that we can kind of go in order. Uh, if you know, I don't know what notes you wrote down, but anyway, don't worry about it if we if we're not in order. But basically, if people don't want to hear about the ending, you know, um, don't listen to the last twenty minutes or something. I don't know. Uh, anyway, okay, so basically, the story is Ender's Game happened three thousand years ago. Uh, that's a bad way to say. Ender's Game happened, and then. Ender and his sister. Ooh, what's her name? Do you remember? Uh, I want to say Violet, but is it? I don't think that's quite right. No, I, I, it's, it um, might start with the V. Let's. I'm not going to worry about it because she isn't featured that much in this book anyway. But um, they just start romping around the galaxy from planet to planet, traveling at light speed, only staying places for very short periods of time. That is how three thousand years pass. And they're still only 35 years old. And uh, nobody knows that Ender is Ender at this point, or his sister is uh, Demoth. I looked it up. It's Valentine. Valentine. Um, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> it just was killing you, wasn't it? <laughs> yep. Um, and so we're 3,000 years in the future. And, um, and oh, yeah, Ender still has the Hive Queen uh, larva or whatever you want to call it um with him and for the first time in three thousand years humanity discovers another sentient like intelligent race and unfortunately they're called the piggies (laughs) in this book which i really hate (laughs) well i mean it's kind of like an ender's game where it is you know the hive beasts or the you know aliens were called the buggers it's supposed to Um, go with the buggers clearly yeah Yeah. you know buggers piggies you know it's it's just really humans (laughs) naming aliens after animals they're also called the pecaninos or something uh so you can call them that or you can call them they call themselves the little ones okay uh, so anyway, it's this uh, intelligent race, and the world is being very cautious this time. They're limiting the human interaction with them, although there is one uh, religious uh, community. Well, they, they they didn't know they were there when they traveled to this planet, but this basically this Catholic community got this permit to in, inhabit this new planet. And then they well, discovered these these yeah. uh, pecaninos. I mean, and, an important note, these are, in comparison to the aliens in Ender's Game, these are um, earlier in their development, these yes. aliens, so that they're not, they don't have technology. They're more they don't have tools species. whatsoever. Right. They, but they're good at, like, language and picking up uh, and learning other languages. So they talk, they, they can communicate very clearly. Uh, right. but they're they intelligent, are like, they're just not advanced technology. Yeah, and they're small. They're, you know, I, I guess maybe they're pig-sized. Um, yeah, something like that. And yeah, they have piggy faces, I guess. I'm going to be honest. Uh, I hated the fact that they looked like pigs so much <laughs> that I just replaced that in my mind with uh, Koroks from Zelda. Oh. <laughs> little yeah. little tree guys, right? <laughs> Because it, you know, it works perfectly. <laughs> I See, I'm trying to think, and again, it's been so many years, so I can't say for certain how I pictured them the first time I read them, but I, I picture them much more humanoid than pig-like. Okay, here's the thing. I went back to the chapter where they're first described. They are very... They bar- He barely describes them. He leaves it up to your imagination. He describes, mm-hmm. like, the fact that they can climb trees and they have these, like... 
these like thorn things in their thighs that help them climb, but he does not really describe the whole body. It's weird. Huh. Or or if he does, I don't remember it, and it wasn't in the spot that I looked where he described other things. <laughs> yeah, Orson Scott Card doesn't really wax long and poetic with descriptions, um, <laughs> you know, like some authors do. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, okay. Uh, so anyway, the, the whole premise of the book is, um, you know, uh, humanity wants to learn about these, these piggies, but they don't want to, like, ruin their culture. And a terrible thing happens at the very beginning of the book uh, where where the main character at this point anyway is murdered and not just like killed by the piggies but like ritualistically uh, how, what, there's like a word for like pulling out all your entrails being disemboweled <laughs> yeah disemboweled thank you yeah. um disemboweled just grotesquely and they they even determined like that he was alive when it happened and so basically it looked like murder and torture okay doesn't it like describe it as like removing his organs and like placing them next to his body while they're still attached in and specific so, like, places yes like yeah. it, like it was very ritualistic and and precise yes and, it, and he was still alive, they determined, when it happened. And and yeah. And so, big old crisis. Anyway, um, uh, so anyway, Ender gets involved with this because he's still looking for a home for the Hive Queen. And he seems to think that, like, the buggers would get along with the Pecaninos, right? So, so he goes there. And yeah, I don't know how much more we should get into. I think that pretty much sets up the whole book. And uh, if you haven't read the book, that's kind of like the setting. There's, a, it's a bunch of, it's a big mystery as to why the Pecaninos, the piggies, killed him. Right? That's like a mystery throughout right. the whole book until the end. Um, and it's like there's this um, dichotomy between Ender. Like you're thinking, Ender, no, don't, don't release the Hive Queen, right? But then the Hive Queen is can like talk to his mind and she's she's like no i'm not gonna kill you guys this time <laughs> right so there's like this dichotomy because he really hates the fact that he murdered an entire species you know and he wants to he wants um to atone for that so so that's the that's the story of the book really i think the uh maybe the one thing left out of your synopsis for the setup of the book is that the title speaker for the dead comes from ender wrote well ender gets a call people can call for a speaker to come speak like at a funeral basically and give a eulogy but there's like these professional speakers and he is one of those what people don't realize is he is the original speaker for the dead who wrote the speaker for the dead book which kind of tells the story of the hive mind um and so yep. he he answers that call because he wants to go to that planet. But there was a call put out, and he answered that, and he arrives with the title Speaker for the Dead. Yeah. So he's got, like, certain privileges that let him do certain things, read certain files, and uh, go certain places that, you know, help him out through the story. And also, <laughs> okay, so here's one plot point that I just want to talk about. The whole Jane plot point. Do you remember Jane? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember Jane. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Jane is essentially this Cortana character, right? That like is a computer program that lives in the Ansible. Um, 
And actually, so there was one chapter that like was dedicated to Jane, right? It's when it's when Ender switches her off. That there's a whole chapter right. after that that just talks about the birth of Jane, what she's like, uh, just it, the whole it all Jane. And I loved that chapter. I thought that was really cool. Um, but yeah, so she's like this computer program that kind of like lives. I mean, I, I I imagine her living in his brain because he she talks through an earpiece, but you're like, I guess she's just in the ether. <laughs> right. Yeah. She, you know? I mean, she's like, you know, she lives in the internet, you know, yeah, she just exactly. lives kind of in the information network before of, that word was a word. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and she was apparently born in this ether, which is, you know, and the way the ansible, how they communicate, you know, between in through space. Hey, do um, you remember exactly when she was born? Do you remember reading that part? I don't remember. So, so do you remember that program that Ender is, it's like a video game oh, that he yeah. plays, right? Yeah. And it, I don't remember exactly everything about that video game, but something about it's like, it's supposed to be impossible or something maybe. I don't there, Well, yeah. In Ender's game, right? there was this like, um, <laughs> like Minecraft style video game yeah. where kids could just play in. And it was like, it was more just kind of fun in games, but it had us lots of little, little side games and mini games and, and there was a, there was a puzzle in it that was supposed to be unsolvable. Okay, you know that was just meant to test to see to see how a kid would react. It was they were psychologically okay. experimenting on the kids. A- anyway, um, so his it's like his solving of that impossible puzzle is apparently what birthed Jane. Somehow, like the circuits oh. got, <laughs> he blew the circuits or something of that game. It's something like I'm not describing it right. Interesting, but it literally says in that chapter that that's when she started. Oh, that's interesting. I don't remember that, um, but that is interesting. That makes sense. <laughs> I I do also remember in Ender's game. That's how the the hive mind was able to start communicating with Ender was through the game. And oh, I wonder if that really? started. And I think that may have started like at the same time. Oh, interesting. See, uh, I, I could glean so much more about this book if I went back and read the whole <laughs> Red Ender's Game again. Because, um, yeah, like somehow the hive mind was speaking to Ender the whole time. I think it might have been through Jane, but it might have um, been, I don't know, through no, the No, it's, it's like, a te- he's like, he's like telepathically connected with it. Okay, um, okay. It, I mean, if you read the sequels and the rest of the series, it does get into that kind of stuff oh, a okay. bit more. Um yeah. Don't spoil it. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to spoil it for it, but it, it gets into those kind of connections. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, Jane, yeah, lo- I love the Jane aspect. I was actually a little bit worried about her at the beginning because the first time you meet her, she's like this playful, childish, little, I don't know, flirty kind of girl, you know what I mean? And I thought it was kind of silly, but I warmed up to her really quick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. The Four Orders of Foreignness. Do you remember this? This uh, these um, words I, that he makes I say, up. As, as you say that, <laughs> I kind of have this like tickle in my mind, but I don't it, remember. It, what it is, is throughout the whole book. It and it pays when you first read these four words, reader who has not read the book yet. Write them down. Write down their definitions and like refer to it often. <laughs> okay, they are. Ut- Utlanning, which means a human from another city or country. Framling, a human from another world. Raman, an alien that we recognize as human. And Varels, 
which are animals. Like we can't communicate with animals. So Oots Lannings, they're just, they're us and they're just from another city. They're barely foreign at all, right? Well, then there's humans that live on another whole other planet. That's another order of foreignness. And then there's aliens where I guess we can maybe communicate with them, but they're not human, right? So that's even more foreign. And then Varels. And, and the, big, the big question is, are the Pecaninos in this story Raman or Varels? Right. Right. Aliens or just animals? Uh, <laughs> I just, uh, I thought, I don't know. When I first read the, uh, the, 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 the words, first of all, I didn't know that they're going to be coming up like all the time. But I thought they were kind of silly. But then uh, they're just used so often in the book that they started becoming normal to me. And and I and I actually started thinking about it. Like I don't remember what made me think about it in my real life, but I I thought, oh, this thing right here is Varels because <laughs> I can't communicate with it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe those aren't mentioned in the sequels. Uh, which is why I, maybe, no, I think they are actually. As you say that, I do remember that because yeah. isn't that kind of the whole thing? Well, I don't we like, don't want to get too far ahead, but you know, kind of towards the end of the book, dealing with how is humanity going to deal with these, you know, piggies, yeah. and you know, what are they exactly? Yeah, no, it totally plays a very important part of the book. Yeah. Um, okay, this I know for a fact you're not going to remember this. I know for a fact, but it was a poignant, poignant. <laughs> chapter actually it wasn't even a chapter what do you call those things at the beginning of chapters that aren't actually part of the chapter they're like a a pair a few paragraphs that are like a conversation or yeah like, is there a word for that <laughs> i don't know what those are called but i know what you're talking about i know like in ender's game most of them take the form of like an email communication between okay. faculty you know at the school um Orson Scott Card does that, I think, in some of his other books, too. Okay, I'm not well, sure what it's they're in called. every chapter of this book as well. And yeah. um, and there was one. Uh, you know what? I I should have like reread it because I'm gonna mess it up. It's important to get the to get the details right in this, but do you happen to remember a chapter beginning part where he tells about uh, a, the parable of from the Bible of um, he who throws the he who commit has not committed sin cast the first stone. You know the parable? Yeah, yeah, I know the parable. I don't recall reading that in this book. Okay, so um, so he it, it's kind of interesting because he he kind of like takes that parable to another level in a future where people live on different worlds. Because he says there's one rabbi So I messed the telling of this parable up so badly that i decided to call mulligans and record what i wanted to record earlier (laughs) over it uh and by the way uh this when a chapter begins with you know a um a small story or i guess even a poem sometimes that's called an epigraph so each chapter in this book begins with an epigraph and this one uh, told the story, the comp- the famous story that, uh, you know, if you've read the Bible, you know about the woman who was caught cheating and the man brings her to, the husband brings her to the square to be stoned. And I think he, and Jesus is there and he says something like, the law says that we should stone her to death. And Jesus famously says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. 
Well, the narrator of this epitaph, uh, who is a character in this book, but it's not important, he says this actually happened uh, on other worlds, but the outcomes were different. The first uh, story he, he tells the uh, the same thing happens, but then as he brings the woman away from the mob who no longer wants to stone her, he says, tell the Lord Magistrate who saved his mistress, then he'll know I am his loyal servant. So there was some deviousness going on by the rabbi because apparently this woman was fooling around with the Lord Magistrate. Then on another planet, this happens and... As the angry mob is dropping their stones because they realize that they've sinned as well, he, the rabbi, picks up a stone, raises it high above his head, and crushes the woman's head, and her brains spill out all over the the, the square. <laughs> I was not, I did not see that coming. Uh, and he says, nor am I without sin. But if we only allow perfect people to enforce the law, the law will soon be dead and our city with it. <laughs> okay, and uh, this epitaph ends with the narrator saying, the famous version of this story is noteworthy because it is so startlingly rare in our experience. Most communities lurch between decay and rigor mortis, and when they veer too far, they die. Only one rabbi, Jesus, I'm inserting that, dared to expect of us such a perfect balance that we could preserve the law and still forgive the deviation. So, of course, we killed him. Back to my conversation with Brandon. I should just cut this whole part out because I did a terrible <laughs> job of yeah, explaining so that. But it was such a good, it was such a good, I was surprised that he wrote something like that. He kind of like, extended a parable of jesus i I just found that in a science fiction book i found that really interesting <laughs> um yeah i don't know i'd have to reread the whole like couple pages <laughs> yeah. here um so switching maybe pivoting gears but building off of the biblicalness of this okay. i don't know how much you want to get into the elephant in the room that is orson scott card <laughs> <laughs> you know what uh uh, let's get into it, man. Okay, let's I didn't know if it. you wanted to go there, and you can cut any of this that you want. No, let's let's do it. I, I actually, uh, so you're going to say some interesting things about him, I'm sure. And I actually, the only interesting thing I knew about him was that he he's Mormon, and I didn't. Um, I, I was watching uh, uh, this Apple TV Plus show called. Um, it's about video games. Epic, oh, mi- epic quest, epic quest, yes, epic quest, and she actually mentions uh, Ender's Game. The movie didn't do so well once everyone found out that Orson Scott Card. Uh, I don't know. S- I can't remember what views she pointed out, but apparently yeah. he has some controversial views. Okay, and that was this- the first time I've ever heard of any controversy with them. Yeah, this controversy really came to light and became kind of mainstream, or a lot of people were talking about it in the lead up to the movie um, and okay. a lot of people were wanting to boycott the movie oh so it was before the movie so but out. i mean it goes back to before that it goes back to well, i don't know how far it goes back I, i'm no i'm no expert on this what but are i these would views? say that i remember people talking about this as early as proposition eight in california because okay. he and he um 
Orson Scott Card, as well as being a very prolific novelist and writer, also does a lot of commentary. He does a lot of book reviews. He does a lot of just like opinion writing. He, I, okay. I think he has an ongoing, I don't know if it's still ongoing, but he had a very long running opinion column that ran in his local newspaper in North Carolina. Um, and he is very outspoken and vocal in his opposition to same-sex marriage. Okay. okay. And just anything kind of in that arena. And it's yeah. the opinion, you know, he has Which the I think Nor- North Carolina is kind of like... <laughs> Right, but uh, he, a problem state yeah. <laughs> regarding that, right? Yeah, he, um, he has the opinions that you would expect from a mainstream Mormon. Okay, um, yeah, you know, and especially of his generation. Yeah, um, okay. You know, I wouldn't say that his opinions are overly hostile compared to other Mormons I know, particularly of yeah. that generation. Yeah. But they're typical for that culture. And um, I mean, I, I mean, is it safe to say that there just aren't like a ton of? mormons that are big authors like this right there really aren't i mean i can only think of a couple therefore he sticks out is what i'm saying he is well and i mean as a teenager as a mormon teenager i looked up (laughs) doris scott card as like a great example of how you know how a mormon could succeed in mainstream culture and yeah when i was looking up to steve young yeah you know um you know we were both mormon teenagers listeners there weren't a a lot of examples of people like that um you know now there's brandon sanderson um who writes a lot of uh fantasy he's mormon too Uh, he's mormon he um he does some teaching i think he does i don't know if he's a full-time teacher he's done some lectures and stuff at byu um, but he's I Mormon. did not know that. Okay, uh, so he's and, not the only one then. Yeah, so he's not the only one, but I would say he's the one that's been in the mainstream the longest. Oh, you know who another one is? Uh, and this whole this podcast is not going to devolve into just talking about famous Mormons. But um, <laughs> uh, isn't the lady who wrote the vampire books the twilight books twilight, yeah, stephanie yeah. myers there you go. Yeah. okay yep, last one too. all right so okay. where are we going with this so but anyway so i was just gonna say that anytime and i mean when i browse the book subreddit and i see someone say like you know is it possible to separate an author from their works i immediately know before even clicking on it that they're gonna be talking about orson scott Card. <laughs> And, you know, and sure enough, I'll click on it, and the first example they give is Orson Scott Card. Uh, so, it's any time you talk about Ender's Game and Orson Scott Card's books, I feel like you kind of have to address him. Um, so, how do, you, how, do you, how do you address it? I'm curious. See, again, as a teenager, I loved Orson Scott Card, and I loved his writings. His books are easy to read. And okay. they're, they're enjoyable reads. Um, I also really liked the Mormonism that was woven into them. Uh-huh. And he has a couple other series where he hits you over the head with the Mormon allegory just about, well, even Oof. more obviously than like Chronicles of Narnia, <laughs> okay. you know, where it's just, he has a series called Alvin Maker that is basically the Joseph Smith story. Um, oh, wow. Written in like a fantasy America. And he has another book series, I think called, what's it called? Homecoming. That is the plot of the Book of Mormon. <laughs> um, it's a science fiction book about these people. I, th- I believe, I haven't read them, but my understanding is it's, it's a semi-primitive society, but is science fiction, like living in space. And there's people who travel back to Earth or something like that, hence the name Homecoming. Um, but it's the plot of the Book of Mormon. Oh, like, wow. And he doesn't even hide that. He has said blatantly that, yes, it is okay. you know, the Book of Mormon. Um so he definitely he definitely weaves his 
ideology and his thinking, his philosophy and his worldview, I think, into his writings, both intentionally and unintentionally. Uh-huh. And I think there is... When I originally read these books, this whole series, as a teenager, I really liked trying to make those connections, you know, of trying to see where my religion was being portrayed in this science fiction story. Um, And and, and it's interesting. And again, the sequels go in a little bit more into kind of these philosophies of like, what is life? And, you know, these... um, And this book, I mean, deals with kind of, you know, the Pequenos or... They're Pecan- the Pecaninos. Pecaninos. The Pecaninos have this um, like three stage life cycle, you know, yeah. and and so as a good Mormon, I thought like, oh, it's like the pre existence, the mortal life, oh, and then life after death. I didn't really make yeah. that connection. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if I would now if I read it, having been kind of a little bit more removed from going to church. Yeah, um, but definitely then I did, and and. And people will bring up kind of that some of his problematic worldviews do get kind of woven into his stories a little bit, um, you know, and especially his outlook on, you know, primitive or not primitive, I'm sorry, on traditional marriage um, and kind of the way the family structure should be that, you know, even in this far future, you know, 3000 years after Ender's Game, which is set into the future, there's they're still living in a very Catholic traditional culture yeah you know what it's it's interesting that you're saying this because i actually so i i mean i knew he was a mormon um but i i didn't feel like a lot of his personal ideas were or you know a lot of his religion was wound into this i thought like the whole catholic the fact that he chose catholicism as the religion was kind of an example of that um yeah, and but I would, is Catholicism I would agree. like the bad religion in this? I don't know. Like, I I think that his in the in this book, looking just at this book, I uh-huh. think that his religious worldviews were only unintentionally, okay. you know, included into it. I I don't think he was trying to intentionally preach or you know okay. make it kind of a religious allegory. I don't think he was doing that in this. Um, like I said, he does in other books. Yeah, uh, yeah I don't yeah. think this Blatantly. book does so much. Um, if anything, you know, I think as you and I had discussed briefly through text before, his the fact that he was a Mormon missionary to was it to Brazil? Brazil, yes, um, it was. I nailed that. The way the way that he portrays not even just the alien life form, but the human life form on this other planet, and Ender going there into this culture, he's a missionary. Feels very much like a Mormon missionary okay, going to a that, foreign country. I agree. That I agree because he is kind of like the example and like the savior. So in some ways, to okay. them, to this, and, like, like he, 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 he. Um, there's this broken family in this book, right? And he like he teaches them how to be a forever family (laughs) i don't know (laughs) uh yeah that i can see that i can see it did feel a little um like his religion was getting into it and And to be honest to be honest that 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 chapter where he first meets the broken family and like you know wrestles that kid down and everything i actually really didn't like that chapter but uh, but at the same time I did like Ender as a character. Like I didn't like that. I liked how he was like saying all the right things at the right time. And he knew all the right things to do, but I don't know for better or for worse. I, I, I kind of fell in love with him. (laughs) No, I really liked Ender in this book too. Um, I, 
Yeah, he's a very different character than he was as a kid, but as you would expect from any, you know, person, (laughs) um, you know, growing up. But yeah, Yeah. I liked Ender in it. I thought, you know, if anything, he is a bit of that, you know, what do you call that? You know, the character who's just always good at everything and always succeeds at everything they do. Yeah. and he Which, had Jane to help him, you know? Right. And he had Jane in his <laughs> ear telling him what to say. And no one you knew. I don't think anyone knew that. Um, I'm trying to remember if anybody knew at, he at, had At Jane. a certain point, he... Um... No, he talks about he has a friend. He has a helpful friend. You know what I mean? That's as far mm. as he goes with it. And, uh, oh. There's one person who finds out at the end. And I think he's right. probably featured in the next sequel. I, I'm yeah. guessing. I don't know. Yeah. No, kinda, I do remember for sure. Yeah, I do remember for sure the one guy f- knows at the end. But yeah. Um, yeah, so he does, like, everyone doesn't know he kind of has this superpower. He has yeah. this, it, you know, he has Jarvis in his ear telling him what to say. <laughs> okay, uh, Brandon. The, we're going to get to, okay, you mentioned the, the three lives, right? Pecaninos, these little alien dudes, they don't live like humans live life is just a little bit different they have three lives instead of i mean i mean orson you know ender and therefore orson says humans only have one life essentially is what he says which is interesting because you know mormons do believe in more lives oh my right. god you have the biggest freaking i've seen your cat before but oh. i just <laughs> i cannot believe how big your cat is yeah she's fluffy <laughs> she is a fur ball okay anyway i have to lock my cat out of the room when we podcast because she gets crazy <laughs> I was afraid uh, that she would be bothering me because she really likes this window I'm sitting by. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, okay, so so we learn that Pecanino. Okay, and this is like a big spoiler, you know. Um, if you want to read the book, maybe stop listening now. But uh, these Pecaninos, they live what they call the first life is in darkness. Uh, that's when they are born inside these mother trees and there's no light and they're actually they're actually eating their way out of their mother their mother has no way to birth children the children just eat their way out of her and then they're in this tree drinking the sap of the tree that's life one once they get out of the tree they become the piggies that we know about Uh, they walk and talk and climb trees and live lives that's life two. That's called um, under the. Uh, I, ca- I think they call it like half light. First life. First life is darkness. The second life is like half life. They're living under the shade of the trees, and then if they receive the honor to, um, well, I think all of them live a third life. But if you're good enough, you receive the honor to live a third life as a like an ancestor tree you're killed you're spread out in a very particular way and a plant starts growing up from your carcass and you turn into a tree which humans can't communicate with but these pecaninos can and uh, that is the third life in the full sun you know they grow up above the shade and they're in the full light of the sun and uh, that is like the big reveal at the end of the book Um, you know that you know, the whole time 
the human characters in this book think of these piggies as like you know native americans who have these folklore beliefs that they can you know talk with their ancestors through you know their or their their ancestor is a bison or something you know what i mean like nowadays we just think you know okay whatever that's like folk tradition beliefs right well as it turns out they actually can talk with the trees in this book um and 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 they uh i mean there's like magical stuff that they can do too that we won't get into (laughs) if you don't want to but um but yeah i mean it's like uh it's really it's really amazing and and brandon the reason why this book like touched me the way that it touched me (laughs) get get this the most important chapter in the whole book when everything's being revealed for some reason i don't know why i never do this i was reading the book out loud (laughs) okay okay (laughs) danielle was actually right next to me she probably thought i was annoying okay but i was just reading it out loud and I started actually, my voice started breaking up because it was touching me so much. I didn't actually cry, okay, but like it actually really hit me when Ender straight up says, humans don't have a third life. When they die, we die. Do you remember that line? Yeah. Okay. The reason why this is so impactful in the book is because we find out that that guy that you thought was murdered by the Pecaninos at the very beginning was it was all it was a misunderstanding because the Pecaninos thought that they were giving him honor because they thought if they killed him just like they kill another Pecanino that a tree would grow out of him and he would live the third life, which is the best life um, the in the full light of the sun. Uh, and that doesn't happen and they don't understand why until the very end when Ender says humans don't have the third life (laughs) that just hit me so hard man I just thought that was the most impactful it was such a simple sentence but it was just like the most impactful thing I think I have read in a very very long time that's when it was like done five stars man and it doesn't matter what happens after this this (laughs) book got five stars (laughs) interesting yeah it um it definitely i mean kind of like we started out talking it definitely deals with kind of those heavier themes you know and yeah uh oh especially because what he has to do after that that scene do you remember what ender ends up having to do against his will i mean no it's his will but like yeah yeah he ends up performing the ritual for exactly so he he mutilates a pecanino because uh i mean the pecanino's begging him like you have to give me this honor you know right. like they please. Asked him to. yeah and i think doesn't it even doesn't it even say that one of the humans who had died that way had they believe had probably had the choice of either performing the ritual for yes. uh, um pecanino or having it done to him and he, he couldn't says, bring himself yes. to kill someone i so, think it was both they might have been just one but i think it was both and they he says that um the reason they died is because they couldn't bring themselves to kill the Pecaninos. Yeah. Oh man, that is just so good. I just, I cannot imagine. I mean, I, I guess it's based on his 
religious beliefs or something somehow out of his religion came this amazing story but it was so impactful and good to me yeah and well and it's interesting i think one of the main themes of the book is is life you know and what is life um and you know where did life come from and where does it go and i think it explores that with jane you know and where jane was born and where she came from um and obviously you know it explores it with the piggies but then also with, you know, the Hive Queen and he, this larva he's been carrying around trying to give new life, yeah. you know, to this species that he thought he had, you know, killed. I like um, that, Brandon. So yeah. I, I think it's about that, life. Yeah, it's about life and it's about kind of the cycle of life. And and like I said, the sequels explore those themes a little deeper. Okay. Um, and so I would be interesting to know. It, I would be interested to know what you would think about those if you read them. I... I may, I may read them. I mean, you would think I would jump right on them if I thought this was like the best book I've read in a long time. But I also, you know, we talked about sequel fatigue. I also yeah. do kind of like spreading books out um, in a sequel. Uh, I'm reading the Wheel of Time. I'm only two books in, but I, I put like uh, lots of books <laughs> in between them. <laughs> yeah. They uh, did you know that there's going to be an Amazon series about that book? Uh, yeah, I think a trailer dropped today. For I that. just watched. Oh, it, it dropped today. Yeah, I, I just okay. Saw my cousin sent it, it to me, or my my nephew sent it to me, yeah. and uh, I didn't know it, it dropped today. Yeah, I've read the first, I think nine or ten books in that. Wow. Um, I need to get back and finish it, but that's <laughs> that's a whole nother <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, just exactly. to deal with that series. Um, I have thoughts about that <laughs> series. <laughs> um, so but, yeah. Well, and had you read any of the other books that are associated with the Ender's Game series, like the These Ender's are the Shadow? Only two or, Orson okay. Scott card books I've read. I have a third Orson Scott card book, but it may not be the one that you're thinking of. It is a book on how to write science fiction. Oh, yeah. He has one of those. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I haven't read it yet. I haven't even cracked it really, but um, I was at a used bookstore not my usual one i was at this weird foreign used bookstore <laughs> and uh that was like a, a a gem that i found there i'll read it eventually but yeah yeah well it, it's interesting i would i was curious because it's been a while i know that more books had come out since i even read the la- latest one that i had read and mm-hmm. so i went to wikipedia and looked at the like chart that shows the chronological chart of the enderverse stories okay. and it's a lot <laughs> the enderverse nice uh you know like how many uh, uh, well, a lot of these are short stories, but oh, just okay. novels is, let's see, there's 18. Wh- what? 18 books. What? Because so there's 18 a- novels? There was Ender's in the Game. Enderverse? <laughs> there's Ender's Game. Then there's the the Speaker for the Dead. And like I said, there's th- two more books that come out kind of in that, what I yeah. would call the Speaker Trilogy. Um, and then there's a fifth book that you know, Orson Scott Card classifies as being part of the Ender Quintet, which is Ender in Exile, which kind of fills the gap between Ender's Game and Speaker for the Dead. Ah, uh, okay. Um, and I've read that one. I think that's the latest one I've read. Okay, where then, did the other, like, 10 or 11 come from? So you remember Bean from Spe- from Ender's Game? He was the younger no. kid, even younger than Ender. Who, okay, whatever. Um, he was another kind of... Anyway, there's an Ender's Shadow book that is basically Ender's game from Bean's perspective. Um, oh and God. then there's a whole series of Shadow books 
that take place. <laughs> kind of, it's what happens on Earth after That's the fall from Ender's Game. Yeah, and I've read a lot of those ones. And so, like I said, I, I was really indoors in Skyheart, yeah. so I read a lot of those. But, I mean, it's a lot. There's a lot going on. There's prequel trilogies about the earlier wars mm. when, I, I, you know, I, aliens first look, encountered them. There's the, a lot. The, the um, series that I've gone furthest in of any other series is Dune. And, you know, it's like no matter what, if you finish a series, there's always other books that people are going to say, oh, well, this is part of the series, too. you got to read that. <laughs> so, like, I read the six Frank Herbert written Dune books, right? But there's a bunch of other mm-hmm. ones that his son wrote. Interesting. Um, and I, I got to say, Dune. it was hard, like, to finish that. Like, I, I, I struggled with sequel fatigue and uh, i am impressed that you were able to read all of those in the same universe yeah um well i mean get ready with wheel of time i think there's 13 of those books yeah i'm not gonna read no Uh, i think there's more i think there's like 16 or 17 yeah well but those ones are done because they very you know and and didn't sanderson write the last yeah brandon sanderson i think finished one book and then wrote the last two yeah okay or something like that. honestly i'm probably only gonna read the first three i got the first three in a three pack and okay. uh i mean it's already taken me like five years to read the first two so <laughs> yeah no it took me a long time to read the nine that i read um, but, yeah um anyway. but yeah speaker for the dead man um i really enjoyed it um i, I loved it man it is a it is a deep meat and potatoes science fiction book but it was i think i think this all the slow parts that you endure because i think it is slow at times i think you're rewarded in the end for all the character development and plot development that happens in those slow parts you know um i know some people really struggle with dialogue in books i love if it's good i like that is often my favorite part of books Um, i i have no problem with dialogue i think that's actually one of the things i might have liked about cards writing style is he does put a lot of dialogue in his books Mm -hmm. um but i i like that i'll I'll sometimes find myself if it's good if it's good yeah if it's good dialogue i'll find myself like skimming like paragraphs in between dialogue just to get (laughs) to the dialogue (laughs) (laughs) that's funny um but yeah so i mean it does have that i know some people don't like that it's not their cup of tea um yeah but yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, like I said, um, I think it kind of deals with some of those themes of life and people that are different than you. I think that can be applied to not just alien species, but just people. Yeah. You know, oh, totally. How we treat yep. other people. Um, and I think that's one of the wonderful things about science fiction is when you can, you know, find those applications to our time. Totally. And, and, and it's funny because I'll tell people that like, you know, oh, I love I like I mostly just read science fiction. And they think when people that don't read science fiction, they think like, oh, you're like, like, I don't know, like, like you're reading like action books, you know what I mean? That are right. like, like Star Wars, uh, basically like space opera, like the, how yeah. it was written in the 60s or something. Uh, not that I'm saying all science fiction was bad in the 60s, but like that's when space opera was big, right? But no, 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 no. Like the science fiction I read, it like has like deep conflicts that you think about and like principles and I don't know. They're just, uh, they, they basically deal with real, real life situations, but in a fake setting, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> one question I did write down for you that I hadn't asked. Let's yet hear it. Is, and uh, this is what we're going to end on. Um, you know, 
as a, I don't read a lot of science fiction, and I wouldn't think Orson Scott. I, I mean, I, I read more fantasy than science fiction. Oh, okay, all um, right. So okay. I, I have read some science fiction, just not a lot. And I would say, from my understanding, Orson Scott Card isn't your typical science fiction author. I think he's written far more that's not science fiction than is. Um, yeah. So, like, in your opinion, how does this book compare to other science fiction you've read? Uh, I, if I was like blindfolded to the author, no, I I wouldn't know that he was any different from any other good science fiction author. I think he fits right in, and I and I I think if I don't know, you know, like if you didn't know anything about his his beliefs or anything, I don't think you would really guess that. <laughs> That his beliefs were baked baked into the book. I mean, I, 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 that, authors' beliefs are always, no matter what, baked into their yeah. writing, right? I yep. mean, that you can't separate them. But no, I think he is totally normal and good. If if that's an answer to your question, <laughs> no, that, that's not, that's an answer. No, that's that's how, that's good to hear. Um, as as a I don't teenager, think you missed out. I don't think you got like a bad impression of the science fiction genre. I'll put it that way by right. reading okay. mostly Orson Scott Card. Yeah. Okay. Um, I know <laughs> after reading Ender's Game and some Orson Scott Card, I wanted to read more science fiction. So, like as a teenager, I read some like H.G. Wells and like, oh, love H.G. Wells um, stuff like that. But then I never, I, I haven't really read much. You know, more modern. Yeah, and I, I would say H.G. Wells is not representative of like the science fiction that came, like you know, for the, like, right. the, the hundred years after him. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but I do love H.G. Wells. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I don't have um, another book that I'm. I mean, I have other books that I will read.